Welcome to Arizona Boomer Radio with the Boomer and the Babe. Arizona Boomer Radio gives voice to 1.4 million boomers throughout the Grand Canyon State and beyond. Each show has a different guest and a different topic. We hope you enjoy the relaxed, conversational style of the show. Nothing fancy, just boomers sitting around the table talking about stuff. Now here are the hosts of the show, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, indeed, and welcome to Arizona Boomer Radio. This is Pete Peters. Deborah Brown is working again, as she always works on the various publishing and book activities that we do. And also we invite you to visit our website at boomerandthebabe.com. We're here today at the Festival of Cheer that benefits Benavia here in the Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona area. Uh, Festival of Cheer is a, uh, a fourth annual Festival of Cheer, as a matter of fact. And uh, we have people here from all air, all over the area, uh, probably about 32, 35 vendors, uh, dance troops, um, performers on stage. As a matter of fact, right now on stage is the Spizak Dance Academy, uh, operated by April Spizak Nelson. And um, she has these young, very young ladies dancing and and looking good and having a great time up there on the stage dancing. So uh, we hope everybody can stop by here and uh, and come and spend the day with us. It's uh, open until 3 o'clock this afternoon. All the proceeds, uh, the gate proceeds and so on, uh, go to Benefit, Benavia, which is a organization that helps uh, young people and elderly, Alzheimer's, and dementia people, uh, patients with their daycare facilities, daycare activities, and also in-home care. So a uh, very beneficial organization and also something that uh, we hope that uh, nobody needs. But unfortunately, today's society, uh, we all are going to be touched by it at some point and some time. All that having been said, I'm waiting for the first people to come over that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be interviewing. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, a bunch of folks here uh, that are really just just a tremendous list uh, of individuals. And one of the one of the organizations that's here is the Arizona Scorpions basketball team. Uh, their coach and a couple of their players will be coming by here shortly. Uh, the way this is going to work today is the, the sound of this program will always be live. It will always be on. Uh, there may be a case where you're going to have some ambient sounds or ambient uh, music, and that will be coming from the stage, which is kind of right across the plaza from where our, my broadcast location is located. Uh, beyond that, when uh, when I am on the stage or making an announcement, the uh, the sound will be the ambient sound, and then we'll come back. And in between my announcements on stage, I'll be interviewing folks and talking to folks uh, here at the uh, at the Boomer Babe location uh, here at the Peoria Sports Complex. So we hope that you can uh, we hope that you can make it uh, out here. It's a beautiful day. It's going to be about going to be about 75 degrees today. Absolutely fantastic weather. 
fantastic Arizona weather, the kind of weather we don't want to have too many people knowing about because then we'll be deluged with people. I'm saying that facetiously, of course, but it is a very nice day today, and we hope that uh, you can come out and join us and uh, help make this Venezia Festival of Cheer a very successful event. This is, as I said before, the fourth annual. So at this point, I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm waiting for the uh, the folks from the Arizona Scorpions to come by, and uh, we'll have some others, other vendors along the way. And uh, so we're going to just kind of turn this off uh, as far as my voice is concerned and listen to the music that comes uh, through the ambient sound off of stage. Hope you enjoy that as well. And we'll be back as soon as the Scorpion ballplayers and their coach show up. They should be here shortly. Thank you very much. We'll be back live with you very shortly. And with that, we'll just say, here we go, back to the stage. Thank you. 
start setting up. And that's one psycho. So, um, I, I, I told him to go ahead and set up, and we might start it early. in here. Uh, I have yet to be introduced to him, so why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Mike McElroy with the Pedal Power Foundation. Pedal Power Foundation, very nice. Uh, Mike, what is it exactly that the Pedal Power Foundation does? We provide um, an opportunity for young kids to learn how to set goals. Uh, we teach them what goals look like, how to set them, uh, work a plan for six weeks, and then at the end of that, we provide them with a reward and recognition of a new bike, helmet, and lock. How long has Pedal Power been around? Since 1998. 1998. Yeah. For some reason, and I don't know exactly why, I think I've heard of you back in the day. Uh, I think there were some people that you may know, uh, that I may know, that were involved with your organization early on. And it is procuring the bike. Could have been, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember myself, uh, but I remember that time it was. Is it still just basically you now, or is it? Yeah, it's still just me and, and my wife and, and kids. Basically, we run it, and we have a program that we run through the Boys and Girls Club, uh, both in Phoenix and in the East Valley, and that's where we identify the kids and uh, put them through our program. And we run three programs a year in the spring, summer, and fall. And what does the program consist of? Um, we go out and we talk to the kids and the parents, and we teach them, you know, um, the value of setting goals, what it looks like, how to do it. Um, they set some goals around the club's five core areas. Um, they work those goals, work towards those goals for six weeks. And then once they, if they finish the program and achieve their goals, then uh, they're rewarded. We do a big celebration at the club with the parents and the program directors and celebrate their success. And it's the first step in them really, you know, having success and achieving the goals they've set. And then uh, they're provided with a new bike and a lock and a helmet. And then from there, the kids become mentors for the kids that come through the program. So we're still able to put them up on the pedestal, you know, and still be able to give them some experience in, in helping other kids set goals and becoming positive role models. About how many kids have gone through your program now? Uh, right, started in a year ago, uh, June. So probably about 200. Uh, we still give away a lot of bikes in different, uh, through different programs, like what we're doing today. And we've done some work with the Diamondbacks and uh, 
some other organizations in the Valley, just helping them, you know, reach kids that are in need. That's really what the basis of the foundation started on. Um, but now over the years, we've been able to put together a program where they're actually earning it instead of just giving likes away. Okay. Makes a quantitative impact on them. Now, when uh, when these first of all, let me ask you a different question. This is a 501c3, yes, nonprofit. Is this something that um, you're the executive director of that nonprofit? I would I would imagine. And now, now, do you do you have another job, or is it strictly operating the nonprofit? No, I have another job. This is uh, what I do at night and on the weekends. <laughs> This is your labor of love. Yeah, this is just a, our way of giving back. It started out with just a couple bikes, and then it, it's grown to, you know, probably three to 400 bikes a year that we give away, and it's just something that we enjoy doing. What was it that prompted you to get started in the very first place? Just blind luck, I guess. Um, I found two bikes on the bulletin board one day at work, took them down, bought the bikes from a guy I used, picked them up, and gave them to a couple of kids, and... That was planted to see that, you know, this is kind of a neat thing. If you need to give away a new bike to kids that probably wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to have a new bike. And that's what started it. And for In the early years, we gave away bikes to, you know, Title I schools, churches, any organization we could find during the holidays, um, you know, as a holiday gift for kids. And it helped a lot of families out, you know, that wouldn't otherwise be able to provide such a gift to their kids. We still do that. Um, we've got an event coming up next Saturday in Tempe where we're giving away about 80 bikes to um, kids at the school. And uh, that's just kind of our roots that we maintain, but then we do our programs throughout the rest of the year. How do the kids find you, or do you find the kids? Most of the time we're finding the kids, or through just talking, you know, to other organizations and other adults that are trying to help families in need and, and whatnot. In fact, just through talking to some folks here, we've, we've already identified another family that can use He's a bike for a 15-year-old, and, you know, that's all he wants for Christmas. So um, just just do that. Now, in a situation like this, today here it is the 8th of December, and you find that there's another a need for another bike. Uh, will you be able to respond to that need? Yeah. Yeah, we've got the resources to do that. Um, we buy bikes all, all throughout the year. We have a shipper coming in this week. Okay. So we'll have, we'll have the bikes readily available and get people assembling them. We do a lot of assembly events throughout the year where we get community volunteers to come out with the company, families, individuals. They come out and help us put them all together. It's a great volunteer event, you know, that we put together throughout the year, various times. So, but it started out as used bikes being refurbished. The first two bikes were. Oh, okay. Everything since then has been new. Um, we do partner with a another organization that um, refurbishes these bikes, and all those bikes go to um, children in the foster care system. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got an avenue to, if somebody wants to bring us a used bike or have us pick one up, we've got a, a you know, an organization that we can deliver those bikes to, and they fix them up, and they make them look like brand new. It's amazing. So, so you have, re- you're, you're, you're working on two fronts, then, basically, the, the foster, the foster homes and the also kids in need uh, with regard to their regular families that, that they're in. Yeah. The, the, the used bikes and the foster care, that's, you know, that's another avenue for us to redirect. So we get a lot of requests from people asking us if they can, if we could use a used bike. And that's not our business. But 
we do know an organization that does that, and we can, we can forward them over to that. So, so you're, you're the conduit in that case. Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, Mike McElroy. Yes. Uh, great work. Fantastic, uh, fantastic work and fantastic uh, operation I think you've got going there, and I commend you for it. Uh, hey, happy holidays. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Too. Thanks for being out here at the Festival of Cheer. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks Thank so much. You. Take care. Okay, that was Mike McElroy, and now I've got another individual here, and uh, her she's from Bannertel West Women's Center, the nesting place. Her name is Zoma Hallman. She's an RN, uh, and she works in the Family and Women's Education Department. I think I got everything down and read everything that you wrote. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Well, now, what is the Women's Center, the nesting place at Banner Del Webb? Oh, it's a wonderful place where babies are delivered. And we have two floors um, dedicated to maternity, and uh, second floor, and the third floor. And the first floor, we deliver babies. The mothers, after they deliver, they go to the third floor. And uh, we keep the babies with the mothers, and we help them after they deliver. And um, not only with uh, personal care, but also, like, I am an RN and an IBCLC, which okay, is... Well, let's stop. That's a lot of letters. Tell me what that is. <laughs> yes. It's an international certified breastfeeding consultant. Okay. Very good. And, and so I have personally lots of practice. I've been working in the um, maternity field and obstetrics for 30 years. And then I have, um, uh, we have another lactation consultant also that will help our patients with other breastfeeding needs. And uh, we're very special at the West because we also have not only us as lactation consultants that I seldom seen in other hospitals, we have also nurses that are lactation consultants and so they are able to touch the patients. Our rooms are beautiful, they care is excellent. And although we are located in San City West, which, you know, is more of a retirement community, we're near to Price, just on the borderline, and um, just on Meeker Boulevard and Grand, and we have an excellent service for obstetrics. Wonderful doctors, wonderful doctors. Well, I, I think what's happening now with, with the Del Webb hospitals, uh, the Banner, they're Banner hospitals now. They're, they just have the Del Webb name, Del Webb uh, uh, was it Banner, Sun City West, and then uh, Sun City Banner, Del Webb? It used to be a Sunshell for something, but yes, right. changed name. But the, the fact, the fact that they're uh, border, yeah, they border on surprise, or yeah. even even the one in in the original Sun City. Uh, <laughs> whenever I've had occasion to be there to visit somebody, or uh, for some other reasons. There's more and more younger people oh, yes. that are in those hospitals for any number of needs, and, uh, and maternity needs obviously yes. are one. Uh, so I mean, it's it's more than just a retirement folks' hospitals. Oh, yeah, of course. We have um, surprise community. It's a family community. Yes. As if, you know, it's just young families with young kids and lots of deliveries and. So we serve um, a vast community, 
And not only do we serve the obstetric needs, but the prenatal needs. Also, we offer prenatal classes like uh, breastfeeding classes, labor and delivery. We also, for people that need to renew their CPR for work reasons or they want to know CPR, we offer CPR classes, first aid classes, people that need like uh, even to have a heart seat placed in, in their cars for their babies and their children. We offer a class for that. And so we just try to educate and help everybody. So you are... You're involved in the entire family, not, not, oh, not just yeah, from, from, uh, from from first to the grave, I would have yes, guessed. Yes, yes. Uh, so now, specifically in your area of expertise and what you do there, are you uh, were you the director of that organization that's there now? Or? No. It's, uh, we have an education department okay. and, uh, with a supervisor. Her name is Gina Carrera. Okay. And so we divide our classes and we teach different classes and, and uh, also see the patients during their stay. So you actually, you actually practice nursing as well as the education? Um, right now, I'm specialized in education. But I've been a labor nurse and a labor nurse for 30 years. Okay. And so right now I'm working on education mostly. But okay. I have all the skills. Well, for, yeah, you've got, for it, the you've got it all handled. Yes. Uh, so now what, what, is the, what is the status of, um, uh, of the community with regard to birth rate? Do you have any idea? I mean, are, are, we, are we having more babies now than we've ever had before or fewer babies or... You know, um, in our hospital, the number, I'm not sure. The last I heard it was about 16 birth rates. For, for one year? For one year. Oh, my goodness. And so it's a, it's a wonderful number and uh, an increasing because the community is increasing. Right. Plus, we cover not only surprise, but if people live out of town, like in a smaller town, north, they come to us also. Sure. And so it's not just a surprise from city west and city area. We cover a bigger area. And so we reach other communities, too. 1,600 births. I mean, I can just picture these doctors in there. Bring in the next one. Let's go. And the nurses, yes. yeah, scrum up and let's go do another one. Yes. It must be pretty quick. Yeah. 1,600, my math isn't the greatest, but 1,600, 365 days, that, that's pretty close to, what, five a day? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In some days, you know, some days, hello, some days is much more than that. On busy days, we get full floors. Have you ever, has your department ever been uh, close to having the first baby born for New Year's? Um, uh, not this year that I know of, but we always celebrate the first baby born who are right. taught. So it's always celebrated. First in the hospital, um, but not necessarily the first for the new year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. Well, I tell you, this, it sounds like an interesting program and a well-needed a well program, a much-needed program. And... uh it sounds like you enjoy what you do. Oh, I love it, and I wish everybody will come and look at our area. If somebody is expecting, we have what is called a pickles and ice cream tour. My life. And they can come for free and see the hospital. They can do a tour. So uh, we have um, what is called a New Beginnings Lactation Center, and uh, we offer things for breastfeeding needs. Everybody needs to come and see what we offer. It's, it's a 
That's your most friendly place. That's Banner Del Webb Women's Center, the nesting place, and you can ask for Ms. Zoma Hoffman. Holman. Holman, I'm sorry, Holman. <laughs> Zoma Holman, and she'll take care of you. Uh-huh. And and your baby. And your baby. All right. Thank you, Zoma. Thank okay. you very much. Appreciate you taking the time. Okay, thank you. Take care. Okay, very good. Uh, we have another uh, guest here. They're coming in fast and furious now. Uh, we, we got somebody who was scheduled earlier. It looks like they got lost. They got they got they got busy slam dunking somewhere, I guess. So uh, we're going to get to them in a little while, also. But right now we have Miss Mr. Joel Shufflin. Is that correct? Yep. And uh, Joel is with Green Home Healthy Me. And what is Green Home Healthy Me? Well, it's my uh, health and nutrition business. I'm a Shackley distributor. Shackley is a corporation that's been around for about uh, 55 years, actually. Right. Uh, doing um, uh, nutrition products as well as organic uh, and safe uh, household cleaners. Okay. Uh, I'm familiar somewhat with Shackley. We've, uh, during the course of our travels around the area, networking and so on and so forth, there are any number of Shackley distributors that uh, that were familiar with, and uh, I've always been impressed with the products, the fact that they are truly green, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the company has a heritage of uh, not only producing green products, but living that green philosophy from the inside out. Uh, and as recently as uh, uh, this past, in this past decade, uh, becoming the first uh, carbon neutral company in the, in the United States and getting recognition uh, from the you know, EPA for that. Um, and also just, you know, planting a million trees in, in the 90s. Uh, it's a philosophy that really comes from the inside out and, and is part of, you know, what the founder, Dr. Shackley, had in mind when he said that he wanted to produce products that were in harmony with nature. So it's a philosophy that permeates the whole company. So uh, now how long have you been in this business? I've been in this business about six months, just moved to the valley and uh, started, started the business. And uh, it's been real exciting. Uh, there's a lot of new things happening. The company, you know, as old as it is, is uh, continuing to innovate, and um, and has had great success with uh, the weight loss products. And uh, in fact, in January, starting a whole new program that's uh, going to give people after the holidays uh, that needed that needed chance to uh, gain get a healthy weight uh-huh. uh, and to make it really affordable. Uh, just, we're launching a program that's going to enable uh, everybody who gets three people to join them in the process. Uh, so if an individual gets three people to join them, then that individual gets their program free. So, Very nice. Yeah, so nice. we're real excited about that. So uh, is, is, is Shackley, uh, they're, they're, they do more than nutritional products. They, they do 
cleaning products yeah. and uh, what am I missing? Well, in the in the in the uh, '60s, uh, the company started in '57, and in the in the '60s, one of the first products they introduced was uh, a product called Basic H, which uh, actually over at our our booth we're we're having a, a drawing. We've got a picture of a mound of uh, uh, cleaning product bottles, uh, window cleaner, uh, degreasers, a big big pile, uh, and uh, and to, to illustrate that, that a small a number of highly concentrated organic products can replace all of those toxic chemicals that we have in our home. Uh, so, but that was one of the starting foundations of the product of the company. Uh, then early on, also in this in the late 50s, Dr. Shackley created the first uh, multivitamin, uh, and now is uh, all of the pro- those products are organically sourced. No genetically modified organisms, and of course, no animal testing done on any of those. All things that we're very proud of. Uh, we have a complete sports nutrition line, uh, so a hydration drink, uh, energy chews, um, recovery shakes for those people that are doing bodybuilding. Uh, the, the hydration drink was actually uh, uh, similar to the formulation that Shackley provided for the space shuttle program, Astroaid. Um, and then uh, there's uh, skin nutrition and uh, products for children's health as well. So, uh, well, that sports that sports uh, products. Uh, we got some guys here from the Scorpions basketball team that we're going to be talking to right after you. <laughs> you may want to get their cards. Yeah, well, <laughs> we should send, we should send them over. Uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got some uh, long distance cyclists that uh, use. Uh, the, the hydration product and, and are really, really uh, happy with that. One of them is not Lance Armstrong, is it? No. no. <laughs> these, these... Yeah, we, we, we won't go there. <laughs> these, but as you said, you know, these are all safe, green, effective. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that really excited me about uh, getting involved with Shackley was uh, the values of the company doing business by the golden rule. Uh, Creating products that were based on clinical research mm-hmm. um, and uh, and given a money back guarantee. Everything we do, if you're not uh, satisfied with it for any reason, give me your money back. Well, I tell you, it's it's been uh, it's been my experience, as I said, uh, with those that uh, that I've met in the uh, in the networking aspect of what we do. That uh, Shackley's a very well regarded. And, and, very widely used, and I think appreciated by the people that use it. So, uh, I want to thank you for coming by, Joel, and good luck with your new venture. Well, thank you, and welcome to Arizona. Well, thank you, appreciate uh, it. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from the Chicago area. Oh, this is going to be a great Christmas for you if you're not going back there. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not, I just came from there, uh, and, and uh, while the weather was still mild in Chicago, and I'm looking forward to a warm Christmas. Yeah. This will be warm, I think. Thank you very much. Well, appreciate you. your taking the appreciate time. It. Take care. All right, we're gonna we're gonna grab these guys over here that are standing around with hanging on to basketballs and everything, and they can just slide right in here and and uh, have a seat. And we'll talk to we'll talk to both of them. But we we've got two of them. One guy's got a basketball in his hand. Does that mean that it must mean that he's one of the players? And the other guy walking in with business cards, so that must be the owner. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how I can. <laughs> I can ascertain these things just by <laughs> what they're carrying. 
<laughs> well, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for coming. Uh, the owner and CEO, Ron Killey, uh, of the Arizona Scorpions. And the gentleman you brought with you is? I go by the name of King James on the basketball court. King James on the basketball court. The first king. The first. <laughs> well, what do what you go by when you're not on the basketball court, King? <laughs> when I'm not on the basketball court, I go by James Singleton. James Singleton. Well, congratulations on both names. <laughs> let's let's start with your boss over there, Ron. Uh, the Arizona Scorpions professional basketball. Uh, tell everybody about the Arizona Scorpions. What, how they came to be? How long have you been? Uh, where do you play? Uh, what level are you at uh, as far as uh, talent? And, uh, anything you want to tell us as far as uh, your organization? Not a problem. This is our second year in the American Basketball Association, the ABA. You remember Dr. J, Moses Malone, um, all those guys back in the day, including Tony Hawkins, who played with the Suns, actually played in the ABA. And uh, back in 1977, uh, the ABA and NBA merged. And back in 1999, the guy who sold the ABA to the NBA went back to David Stern and said, hey, I'd like to buy the ABA back. And David Stern, uh, the commissioner of the NBA, sold the league back to him. And he started the ABA all over again, just like they did in the 60s and 70s. And so now we've become the largest professional sports league in the world. Over 90 teams compete across the nation, including Canada, Alaska, uh, East Coast, West Coast, and it's uh, quite an experience. And we are currently ranked second in the nation, 10-0 this season. We finished 25-4 and last year, and we were ranked as high as second in the nation but finished fifth in the nation last year. You have 90 teams, and how many, how many games do you play? We play approximately 35 games in a season. So are you broken into divisions and uh, and so on and so forth? There are nine divisions across the nation. Nine divisions across the nation. Okay. So now you get into a playoff situation just like yep. uh, the NBA does and, and, and so on? Yep. Um, we have regional finals, then west and east finals, and then the two teams that emerge from the west and the two teams that emerge from the east wind up playing in a final four format. So... Where, where do you play? I mean, what's what's your what's your home court here in uh, in Arizona? Uh, my home court is down at Phoenix College, which is on 15th Avenue in Thomas. Okay. And uh, how many how many home games do you have every, every year, James? Well, the home games vary. Um, this year we have 20 home games. Uh, we didn't play six already, so that leaves us with 14 home games left in this season. And then um, we go to the month of March, so they spread out during that time. How is it that you came to play with this organization? Um, there's many ways you can come. I know um, Coach Tilly, he has open tryouts, and people from all over come. He try out, and if he thinks you're good enough or he got, you know, got what you need to fit his team, then he asks you to come back again, and then that's how we get the players on the team. And so uh, when are the tryouts? Are they yearly or do they are they ongoing or right? Usually we have tryouts um, once every year, and that's during the summer months. Um, anytime during the summer months, coaches say tryouts is on the fifteenth of June, and you know you advertise it, and we get guys from California, we get guys from 
Tennessee. We have people even calling from New York to want to come and try out. So that just goes to show how successful our team is and uh, what a great job Coach Tilly is doing. So now what is what is your um, – when, when did you join the team? I joined the team um, the very first season, but I've played with Coach Tilly in, a, in another league as well before the, the Scorpions. So it was fitting that when he decided to purchase the ABA team that he brought me over to um, to this team. And I've been his captain last year, and I'm a, his captain again this year. And the, the previous teams I played for him, I was his captain as, as well. So you're a veteran of the basketball league. Yes, I'm definitely a veteran. <laughs> and I'm a veteran um, for Coach Tilly. I played numerous years in basketball. I um, played my college I played for college in uh, upstate New York. I played overseas for five years. So my basketball experience is about 15 years. Where did you play overseas? Um, I played in the um, country, Ireland. Mm -hmm. I played in London. And I played in Luxembourg. I won championships over there. I've been player of the year over there. And now my goal is to win a a championship in the States and for Coach Tilly. Let me ask you this. I I wasn't anticipating you going, I'm just... Down this direction, but there's a lot of fellows that go over and play in the European Basketball Association or League Basketball League or whatever it is, whatever they call it, uh, and you make pretty good money over there, don't you? Yes, it's, it's an opportunity to to make real good money over there, depending on what country you go to and what league. But there is good money to be made over there, good competition, and it's a lot of fun. And I understand you're also treated like royalty. Yeah, over there, it's, it's like their NBA over there. Yeah. So um, if you're into a good league, um, you do get treated very well over there. Has it been or is it your objective still to become an NBA player? Well, starting out, that's every young man's um, goal is to make the NBA. Um, what this league provides you is it's a good way to, to get seen. It's a good way to build up your skill. It's a good way to play against great competition. And at that point, um, Coach Tilly do, does a great job to get their film to the appropriate people, and that's what you look for is an opportunity. If you do good in the ABA, which, we've been, which we have been doing good, it's a great chance to go overseas to make good money, and it's also a good chance to go to the NBA and, you know, make good money there. We do have a player on that team. His name is Rob Turner. Um, he gets a, a real good chance to, to make an NBA squad, especially if we do good again this year. Um, he has a great chance of getting seen by the NBA scouts. Uh, not to be demeaning in any way, but if, can, can this be considered to be a de- developmental league on, on some level, or is it better than a developmental league? Well, the D-League three times last year came and took a look at some of my players to recruit to the D-League. And so um, we are a, a league which has at least the level of talent of the D-League and, in fact, several of my players have played in the D-League. And then uh, a couple of my players have played in the league, the National National League, NBA, and then uh, one of them being um, our center, who's uh, seven foot, 265 pounds, and played for um, the Denver Nuggets for a couple of years. So um, we have, throughout the league of the 90 teams, there's quite a few ex-NBA players, young NBA players that were maybe initially on an NBA team but then cut that are playing in our league, and including three Harlem Globetrotters that currently play for us. And so it's a, a varying ability of, and level of basketball player that you'll find in the ABA. 
when when a, a player is um, cut, released, whatever, uh, is, is there a place that they automatically end up, or are they just out there on their own, flopping around like a fish on dry land, looking for a place to play? Yes, once a player is cut from the NBA team, um, he's free to go wherever he wants to. But usually when a player get, get cut, they still have a great opportunity to go overseas and make money. They still got a chance. If they don't want to go over there and want to play in the States, they have the ABA that, that they can turn to. And that's where, that's where most of those players end up at, either overseas making good money or you'll find them in the ABA. And there's a dozen teams in the uh, the, league, the NBA Developmental League. And there are 90 teams in the ABA, American Basketball Association. And so we we wind up having a lot of players with a lot of experience in our league. And currently, 10-0, our team is uh, deep. If we start 6'3", 6'6", 6'9", 6'10", 7'0". And several of those guys have played in the developmental league and the league that are playing for me. So and then off the bench we have six nine, six nine, six eight, six six, six five, and so forth off our bench. So we have an NBA sized team and NBA talented team. Well I remember many years ago <laughs> many years ago. I had occasion to, there was a fellow that worked for me when I worked here in uh for for, for our for profit organization. <laughs> Here in Arizona, and he worked at the uh, he worked at the uh, the old uh, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, uh, and he worked with the Suns. And he was uh, he was a locker room guy, and he also scrimmaged with them from time to time when they were needing some guys to scrimmage and so on and so forth. He was just a I thought he was just a short little guy. <laughs> he invited some of us that he worked with to come out and play ball. And I think I was there for about three minutes. I said, I'm going to sit down here and I'll throw the ball in when you need it. <laughs> because this guy was unbelievable. And he also worked uh, he, he worked on the gate for, for the Suns. And through the connection and so on, I had an opportunity to go up to the, uh, to the club, the private Suns club. And I'm sitting there having a drink and and with a couple of fellows, and I look over, and here's this man next to me that his elbows are on the bar, and his torso goes back a mile, and his legs go way on beyond that, and he's bent over at nine degrees leaning on the bar, and I look over, and it's Garfield Hurst. And I look, and I, I said hi to him, and that's about all I said, but I never fully realized how big you guys are how really big you are, because you see him on TV and everything's relative. You know, what, Steve Nash is 6'2", isn't he? 6'3". 6'3". And he's a little guy, but by comparison. And uh, and I just didn't realize completely what I was looking at. And even when you're at the game, you're up in the stands, and everything is at it's all relative, and everybody is so big. And that's the thing about the ABA and the, and the Arizona Scorpions. We are accessible. At our games, guys come to our games. They're right there on the floor level. They can, before the game, after the game, come up and get pictures with the players, get autographs, buy T-shirts, get them signed, um, and so forth. And, and, in fact, we take a lot of the young players 
uh, up-and-coming players into our locker room and meet the team and meet and greet. And so that's something you don't find at uh, Suns or an NBA game as a whole because they're just that far removed from the, the general population population. Well, I, I've had a, a, a couple of um, instances in, in my life where I've had occasion to rub elbows with some professional athletes. Um, a couple of basketball players, uh, very briefly. You're, you're, you're as close as I've gotten to look like I can put my hand on your shoulder uh, because you're sitting down. Otherwise, I'd never be able to reach your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, the other thing I had, I had occasion to play in a program with Leslie Zeller and the LPGA program with a couple of the lady pros. Uh, and, and it's always been the case, always been, and I also used to have a catering company and I catered for the San Diego Chargers. Oh, okay. And Stan Humphries, I catered his end of the preseason party for three straight years at his home. And in every instance, every instance, you don't realize how good you guys as professional athletes are you don't realize, in many cases, how big you are. Uh, I have pictures of me and Stan Humphreys standing around my big barbecue grill. With Stan Humphreys, he's got a whole tri-tip on the end of the tri-tip roast on the end of his uh, fork, and a beer in the other hand. And I'm sitting amongst him and some of the other guys, and I'm, I'm a pudgy guy. These guys put me to shame. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, the people as you. big as you are and as strong and powerful as you are, that you're also as fast as you are. I, I just don't believe it. Yeah, I know um, today's athletes bigger, stronger, and faster. And But the the thing that I guess most people don't realize, we're still human. Oh, yeah. So if you get us in that atmosphere, you know, we're down-to-earth people, and we enjoy we enjoy our fans, and we're you know so appreciative because without our fans, it wouldn't be us. So, and that's one of the things that the ABA and the Phoenix Scorpions we we pride ourselves on. When guys and you know they come to the game, we make sure we introduce ourselves. You know, we're on the floor; they can come out on the floor and shake our hands during you know during warm ups because we get to the game an hour before. So our fans that get there early, we get a chance to talk to them, get a chance to meet with them. And after the game, we go up in the stands, we shake hands, and we, we're just very appreciative that the people that come to see us. Well, that's great to hear because you you always hear the other side of it. Right. You, you always hear the side of it that the, the guy was a real SOB. He wouldn't even sign my kid's autograph. Now, let's be realistic. The dad probably sent him over to get the autograph so he could sell it to somebody at work. But <laughs> and I know that story too. But nonetheless, it's it's nice to hear that you guys are are appreciative of your fans and that you that you spend some time with them. Yes, and we, like I said, we pride ourselves on that. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad you spent some time with me. I, they're, they're starting to beat the drum up there on the stage, and I think I've got to go announce something again. But thanks again for all the time you spent with me, and we'll. So, so we got a, have you got a hoop or something you're shooting over there? Yeah, we got a hoop up, so bring the family out. You're welcome to come back there and get a couple of shots up. And I just want to mention, um, we play tonight down at Phoenix College at 7 p.m. If you want to come out, if you have nothing to do, come out and enjoy a great game. Sounds great. Thanks again for being with me. Mention this show and you can in for five bucks. Oh, my goodness. Everybody knows. Mention the show. Boomer and the Babe Show, Arizona Boomer Radio with the Arizona Scorpions. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate you taking the time to come visit with me. No problem. Thank Take you. care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
me, for instance, uh, I went through one one year of, of uh, academic work, one year of, uh, of uh, clinical work, and so the whole my whole program was under two and a half years, and then I'm practicing. Um, an MD has uh, basically one or two years of, uh, of academic work and uh, two years of, of clinical work, and then they may have a um, a residency where they have to work three or four years to be a, to become board certified, and so it's, it's a longer process. Um, PAs in general, we, we we start out as primary care, family practice. That that's that's our bread and butter. There there are PAs in every facet of medicine, like you're saying, emergency room, surgery, uh, psychiatry. And every facet of medicine has a PA, at least in Arizona. Um, Nurse practitioners, um, they they don't require the supervision of a physician in order to, to practice medicine. Um, they, they also have a mid-level uh, range, uh, primary care mainly, but they they basically will practice, you know, family practice, uh, family practice nurse practitioners. Um, but they don't require that they have a, a, a supervised physician. We do. We have to um, consult with our, our our physician at least once a week. Um, if, if, like for me, for instance, if I have cases that, I, that are more uh, complex than I feel that I'm comfortable with, I, I always consult, like in this case, Dr. Sloan. Uh, every day, usually there's one, maybe one or two cases where I at least consult him. Uh, and so I really like that. It, it makes it conducive to teamwork. Uh, I think that offers um, the patients more complete care. And, uh, and uh, I, I really enjoy the career. I think with the, the shortage of family practice practitioners, uh, uh, new doctors generally don't go into primary care. Twenty-something uh, percent of them are, are going to primary care. Uh, we have a bit of a shortage now. Uh, so the mid-level providers, nurse practitioners, and VAs, uh, hopefully you can help fill that, that gap. Well, the primary care, care physicians are known to be amongst the lower paid uh, physicians as far as medicine is concerned. Uh, is, is, is that accurate? Is there is that a myth? No, that's, that's, that's fairly accurate. Um, and, and another side to it is if, if you're a family physician, you have to know a lot about a lot. Yes. You really do. You have to know uh, anything from screening, uh, APC, uh Pediatrics all the way to geriatrics, all age groups, um, you know, do all kinds of procedures, uh, and you, you're, you're the quarterback for all the other specialties. So if you, whatever you have, you see your family doctor first, and they will uh, recommend you to go see an orthopedic surgeon or, or whatever specialty. Uh, whereas if you specialize, you know you want to be a surgeon, you, uh, you spend a lot more years getting there. And then you are an expert in that field, but you don't have to worry so much about cough, cold, uh, little kiddos, things like that. So um, I think it's a very wide uh, range of medicine that, like Dr. Sloan practices, any, any family practitioner practices. It, it's a lot to keep up on, get up to date on. And uh, you have to work very hard. And uh, sometimes the day is. Or maybe it's the system, or uh, it's not as glamorous of a job, but it's definitely the, the, 
bread and butter of what most people need is a family doctor. Well, it wasn't that many years ago that it was all family doctors, and and that the the specialist was. Oh, I, I guess truly, I mean, not that they're not truly a specialist now, but I mean, that they were far and few between. I mean, uh, the heart surgeon was far and few between. The neurologist or the brain surgeon uh, was very far and few between. And, and there certainly really wasn't at one point, it wasn't that many years ago, certainly before you were born, probably. But, but I mean, it was a case where if somebody had, uh, if somebody was diagnosed with cancer, chances may be that the family practitioner or the, the family doctor was going to be involved in whatever that care was because there wasn't the amount of care and the type of care hadn't been developed yet. But there was no such thing at that point, I don't think, in 1955, as an example, when my grandmother passed away from breast cancer, she did go to a hospital, but I don't know that there was any oncology the way there is today. Uh, it, it seems to be, all this stuff seems to be relatively recent, doesn't it? Well, um, I think part of that, especially in the last 20 years, has been um, the advent of technology, right. uh, the computer age. I think the amount of medical knowledge is, it seems like it's almost infinite. Um, nobody can master it all. It, 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 I think it strengthens our system to have specialists. Um, a family practitioner isn't going to feel comfortable um, beyond a, a basic complaint, a basic, uh, somebody has a shoulder injury. Well, um, we can try a conservative treatment, but if it doesn't get much better, then we want you to go see that specialist um, because they're going to have um, a, a much much more sophisticated look at it because that's their field. I think that's better for the patient. Um, but And that's part of the reason why I think there are so many specialties now. Because there's so much more medical knowledge out there than there was, so much more access to it. Um, and if, um, if there is some risk involved, if, 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 if in back then, let's say you were talking about in older days, uh, you had your family practitioner with his leather med bag, and he came and took care of everything. Whether and he came to the house. And he came, yeah, that'd be nice, right? Um, but today's age, uh, if I feel 100% comfortable treating somebody like in my shoes here at the urgent care, then... Uh, I will definitely not not feel any guilt about sending them to somebody who is sure. who is more skilled in that that area. Right. Uh, because what I want in the end is, is is the patient to have the best care possible and to be to be happy to get better. Um, I don't think I can do that. Then I'll, I'll send them to somebody who can. Well, it's all it's all about making the person well and making the person as well as quickly as possible. And exactly. I would imagine with the most uh, uh, skilled and the highest degree of technology is available for that for that process. And uh, I can understand with all the technology and everything else. I mean, you certainly know what an MRI is. You certainly know what a CAT scan is, so on and so forth. But I mean, the people that read those and the people that do those are specialists in their own right. So I mean, there's a whole chain of specialists in medicine now, isn't there? Yes, and and, and you know, one of the that argument is, is it can make care expensive. You know, it can make it. Uh, there's a lot of debate in the United States about the medical system, and I don't want to get into that per se. But uh, it, there is a lot of cost, um, but it, it does deliver the best, I think, quality healthcare and, and the chance for getting better 
a wide, such a wide variety of services available. Um, it, it's, it is very complicated, but, but so are so are people, and, and and so it's just something we deal with. Um, and like I said, we, we just want the best care for our patients, and that's what we try to deliver. Well, I know uh, based on people that I've known that have gone to uh, we care urgent care centers that they're getting the best care that they feel they could get at the time for whatever their needs are. And uh, there's been many instances where. Daryl's been at the networking event, or even if he hasn't been there and somebody's availed themselves of your services, uh, that they said they uh, received excellent care and they were very pleased to have been there. So congratulations to you and, and the staff that you worked with and, and the ownership and so on and so forth. They're obviously fulfilling a, a need here in this community. Right. And I appreciate your uh, for what you do, and I also appreciate your taking the time to come visit with Pat. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having us on. It's my pleasure. Take care. on the back side of this drumming that's going on right here. Um, we'll have some more announcements that we have to make up on the uh, up on the stage, so we're going to get ready for those. We're coming up very shortly, and then uh, we'll have more guests. We're uh, doing a great job for getting people by for us, so we're going to try to be here as uh, much as we can for, for any guests that we're going to be talking to. So, uh, Enjoy the room kicks drums of the, uh, the organization that's up there right now. That organization is, let me see if it gives this information. The Waideko Yakara. Waideko Yakara Drum Group. Japanese Drum Group. So, enjoy that. I uh, hope you enjoy the, the beats of drums, and uh, we'll be back with more guests very soon.
but at the same time, to play, you know, beat. Well, when I was when I was watching you and and your your group up there, you were you were working out. I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right, every day gonna do some kind of training. Especially, you know, my uh, students play really good footy, but uh, maybe she's good talking about that with big one. Yes. Yeah. So that's something a little bit. You know, it looked like it was. I looked like it was tough to even get it on and off the stage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, get up. You know, load it, unload it. Yeah. That's maybe eighty percent of my job. <laughs> <laughs> Only twenty. It's the old cheap cooking bottle washer, huh? There you go. <laughs> there you go. Now, what you mentioned that uh, the drum beat signifies the heartbeat and so on and so yeah. forth. Uh, what are what are some of the, does it signify the heartbeat in, through various uh, emotions and so on and so forth, or uh, is it the case or, where it's just uh, almost a narrative of a day, or what, what does that look like? Well, I mean, if you if you are kind of art, or you maybe you know write maybe some kind of a daily type of thing, or even some history, you know, any subject, any way to express who you are. Or what you want, okay. so. But uh, in general, in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, even in America, all over the world, we have drums. Yes, right. So I think that is a, one of the first maybe instruments for us to take care of our um, kind of a expression. So dancing, you know, stepping on the ground, right, beating. And he's going to go, ah, you know, some type of thing. Right. So, of course, you know, I was trained in Western music, too. But that really strict, you know, kind of strict it. But those drums, we have our style of the beating or some kind of, you know, specific type of patterns of drums. But at the same time, if you don't put your you know, spirit in it, I feel you have no meaning almost. So... When, when people, I, I mean, I think to be a good drummer, I, I mean, I, I I played music so many years ago, I, <laughs> I, I forget what it was like, but but the, the drummer was always the beat, the backbone of the orchestra, yeah. the band, that's right, the rock band, right. whatever it was, the drummer. If it was the drummer, it was... Maybe they were the bass guitar player, right, right. but there was always somebody there that that had the anchor, right? So to speak. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now, in as far as normal drumming, and I say normal drumming because it's not ethnic in any way, like yours is. Right. Um, I think they probably sit there and they they follow uh, a piece of sheet music. For this is where I hit the cymbal, this is where I hit the bass drum, and so on. Do you have your uh, your process? Is it the same? And do you have have you committed these various patterns and so on to memory? Well, honestly, you know, modern those Japanese type of drumming has those kind of orchestrations. Like some are low pitch of the drums, some are high pitch drums, and it combinate you know kind of coordinated like orchestra. But personally. I think we're using drums. Some are like uh, noticing the time, and then some are noticing, uh, um, yeah, some kind of signal, you know. But at the same time, we're still playing at the like a shrine or temple, 
as a, you know, kind of a main piece of the chanting okay. or, you know, prayer. So, the mean is, as an instrument, has maybe pitch into some kind of the characters of the drums. Maybe we can, co- you know, corroborate or coordinate as an orchestration. But, at the same time, for me, the drum especially has such a kind of meaning for spiritual, or if you, you know, play those big drums, you feel that because the vibration. Sure. Right. So that's also, it's not coming to, you know, ears too much. It's really more coming to your chest or cavity or kind of a low bleed place. Okay. So, okay. Uh-huh. So, I mean, and, and so what you're doing then is, is not necessarily like, uh, it's not, is it, maybe it is. <laughs> is it improvisational? Yes, basically, what I'm doing, but with my students, there's kind of a, you know, already, there's a form, right. there's a format there. Right. But when you play, uh, with maybe some of your contemporaries, right? I mean, uh, it's almost like a, a jazz jam. Free jazz, right. Absolutely, yes. Okay. So especially with, um, you know, kind of a good musician. Even, let's say, with the same drummers. And sometimes I perform with the flamenco dancers. Sometimes I do fire dancers. And then also I perform with uh, a lot of Native American musicians. Native blues, drumming, and dancers. And, uh, of course, any even, you know, rock band is possible. But like you said, if we don't know how to communicate with the music, maybe we need to make some kind of format. A chart of some Right, 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 exactly. Chart. That helps us to, you know, what's going on. But if we know, like at this conversation, okay, we didn't decide nothing. Oh, so just, you know, you... Just come here. Yes, sir. This is improvisation. Exactly. So I think that's it. You know what I'm saying? So if you have that experience and then know, okay, what is the kind of a goal to take this, you know, conversation. So even we're going to like this. But finally, okay, this gentleman was a type of player. Okay, how to introduce this guy. And then somebody with your curiosity something. So that I know, you know, what I've been doing. And, right. uh, you know, I think that's, that's the same thing, you know, the conversation. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, when uh, when you were on stage, you mentioned that you're going to be performing someplace tonight. Is that, was that yes. right? Yes. Uh, Alice Cooper's Christmas pudding. Christmas pudding. Oh, yeah. 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 Khmer, yeah. Harry Cod, the Merlin Yeah. 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 From seven, so I need to go to rehearsal. Now. Oh, very good. All right, <laughs> Alex Cooper. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Alex Cooper does he's, a lot in this community too. Does absolutely. He is one of the really great musicians and also, you know, person to. He's a philanthropist for crying out loud. He, he, he really gives back uh, an awful lot to the community, and uh, I bet. and uh, his, his fame is uh, uh, well well placed, and also he uses it well to do good. Right. So we are kind of, you know, uh, one of the uh, troops to show the drumming and the dance tonight, but uh, I think, you know, major artists, Jimmy Depp and uh, L.A. Don. I used to live in Los Angeles, so I know the, uh, the leader. Uh, yeah, and it's so, you know, Don Felder from Eagle. Okay. I mean, that's <laughs> Wow, I tell you. 
That's right. Yeah. yeah, sounds like it's going to be a great night. I hope so, yeah. And who knows, maybe it turns into a bunch of improvisation along the way and it'll go till the morning. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone told you that, you know, so all of a sudden you, we don't expect, you know, help that stuff up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but anyways, this is great, you know, even though it's... I appreciate you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came by, Ken. It was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, and I enjoyed watching you when uh, you were performing on stage. Why you got? Why, why didn't you come to my studio sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I have a you know class and workshop in downtown, so you know I have a studio. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Just go. Take the heck out of some stuff. Exactly. Especially if you have a stress, something. Get rid of that stress. Get rid of that stress. Right. Thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks. I gotta go. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Can I ask for anything, sir? I see. Let me get you. background now is Maheen. She is a belly dancer. She's performing her routines on stage. Uh, if you like belly dancing, Maheen's a great lady to watch. She really seems to know what she's doing. But then again, I don't know what she's doing because all I have is the belly and not the dance. Uh, at any rate, um, as I said, we're just going to kind of hold on here for uh Michelle Dionisio, and when she gets uh, into we'll come back live, enjoy at least the rhythms coming from the stage, and we'll be back with more conversation very shortly.
radio show. On the internet, yeah. Oh, yeah, internet radio show. Huh? Pardon me? Huh? That's what I do. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, let's see. What have I talked about today? So far, uh, I've had some vendors up here. Often. Custom, whatever. Uh-huh. It's supposed to go for a half an hour. Well, let's get back. Yeah, but we can talk about all kinds of stuff. All right. All right, Michelle. All right, I have. I'm just standing there. That's okay. All right. Put that on right there. All right, let's start to throw the dancers down. I don't know if I'm supposed to be announcing, but I'm not going to worry about it right now. Okay, we are back. As promised, I said that we would have uh, Michelle D.B. show with us, and Michelle is the chief executive officer. Yes, I am. <laughs> director. Yes. Chief cook and bottle washer. That's right. Head honcho, <laughs> or in this particular case, head honchette. <laughs> of Benavia, and of course, this is the fourth annual uh, holiday cheer festival. That's festival of cheer. And... Um, just a bunch of people here today, Michelle. Yes, it's really... you got to uh, be pleased. Yes, I am. It's a great turnout. We've uh, actually had more uh, people each year. It keeps growing. I think the word is spreading. Um, I can tell just from when I arrived earlier this morning, uh, we had more people in attendance than prior years. So I, I believe it's the word of mouth that's kind of spreading. Sure, yeah. sure. And you were blessed with great weather. Yes. That helps. Well, we don't want to tell too many people about this that are outside of Arizona, do we? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, I mean, you and I have been together on the radio uh, at least a couple, maybe three times in the past. And uh, what I would uh, like to have you explain is, uh, what I'd like to have you explain is exactly what Benavia is, does, uh-huh. and uh, what is the Benavia operation all about? Okay. Well, Benavia actually is a human service organization that started over 30 years ago. We were formed by the local community. Um, as citizens were aging in place, it was primarily in the Sun Cities when we started, where people were wanting to remain independent and stay in their own homes. And they said, what if we organized a group of volunteers that could help us with things like grocery shopping, transportation, those kinds of activities? And so... Um, we got together a group of volunteers and started doing that. And, and the first year of service, we had served 250 people. Now, today, we're serving over 20,000 people each year. And it's gone beyond the Sun Cities, has it? Yes, it has. It is now the Sun Cities, pretty much the Northwest Valley, um, from all the way from Glendale out to Dickenburg. We uh, provide services, and most recently we started a volunteer grocery shopping program in the Goodyear, Litchfield Park, and Avondale area, uh, and that's just kicking off uh, actually this month. Now, it wasn't uh, that long ago that you were in a little facility right there, uh, I don't know where it was, maybe on Mirage Road, mm-hmm. and uh, you moved from there, and now you're in quite a new, uh, expansive, and pretty nice place, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are. We're very blessed. Um, actually, um, our uh, headquarters on El Mirage Road, we had been there since the mid-'80s. 
Um, and actually, um, UNICEF stays very well for a long time in, in coordination of services for people in our community. But we knew that the, um, the, the county was going to be putting a, a road of regional access up to the 303, and we knew we couldn't stay there too long. And so we started looking for land or uh, an existing space to be able to move our operations to. And, and just a note, we, we do a lot of our work in community centers, church halls, uh, in other communities. So it's not just that location alone. But that location housed our social workers who get a lot of the information of referral and um, a lot of the counseling support and that kind of thing, uh, as well as our administrative uh, function. So um, we were able to um, kick off a major capital campaign, and we raised $7.9 million, wow. and uh, we're very, very fortunate over the last, and that was during, uh, as we hit into the recession, we were still raising these funds, so it's quite a tribute to our community that we were able to reach our goal. Um, and we have an intergenerational facility there where people of all ages are uh, cared for. We have an adult daycare program that is adjacent uh, physically to the Child Development Center. So we care for infants as, as young as six weeks all the way up to people, little ones that are five. And then we also have our elders who we care for in Lucianne's place, which are in the early stages of dementia. Um, and so we provide care for about 25 adults at that location. Um, and again, we have people um, at different locations throughout Peoria, Sun City, uh, Sun City West, and uh, the surrounding areas. Um, so we also have a very wonderful kitchen, uh, and it's attached to Burt Bistro, which is a social enterprise. It's a, a wonderful place, a gathering place for people. We serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, we, are, um, we have this very famous after-hours program right now where people come, local musicians, volunteer their time, and they're very professional uh, musicians come and perform uh, for the people that come to Bird Bistro. And then we feature local artists, visual artists, with their artwork in Lucian's Bistro. Talk to me a little bit more about Lucian's place. Uh, I am in the midst of a situation with an, an elder parent uh, who has dementia. Uh, just short mid-range uh, on the mini mental. Uh, it's, it's very, very uh, troubling to see. Uh, and it's also uh, very difficult on her. Because some days she's quite loose but always confused at some level. Uh, some days she just gets so frustrated that she strikes up verbally. Uh, not always pleasant. Yeah. Um, how does Lucienne's place work with that kind of a person? At what point does is the person too far advanced for Lucienne's place? Mm -hmm. And at what point is the person not advanced enough for Lucienne's place? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, to start with, um, we have been caring for people um, for the 30 years plus, and what we found in our community was we had a number of people that were in the early stages of dementia or Alzheimer's, um, and there were people in the mid to later stages. And so we actually designed two programs 
uh, Mary's Place, which is in some city, cares for people who have dementia in the mid to later stages of the disease. And then Ms. Deanne's Place cares for those who have just been diagnosed just early um, onset of, of Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh, and we did that. We were very intentional about having two separate programs because the needs at the different stages are very different. And how we can most effectively um, address those needs is if we can program specifically to the stage that they're at. So um, at Lucy Ann's place, one of the things that we really work toward is making sure that that person's day is pleasant when they're there. So we do... Um, we do these assessments that really help us to find out what are the things that bring joy to that person and finding out what those things are and making sure that while they're there during the day that they're having that experience. So, uh, for example, you know, we have a fellow who is especially fond of little kids. And so we make it as part of his day there. He is interacting and doing activities with little ones. Um, so it's very person-centered, very person-directed, because each person is different, and we're very mindful of that. Um, and so there's at least the place a lot of opportunities for volunteering and getting involved in community and still feeling that you have purpose and meaning in life, which is uh, probably one of the things that's really important to people who are starting to lose their ability uh, cognitively. Um, so, so that's really very top positive for, and, but the other part of this is we also support the caregivers because your point, you know, it can be very difficult on the caregivers, you know, like what do I do? How, what's the best way to handle this situation? And many times um, we provide caregivers, we, they'll ask us those questions, we provide resource information. You, you redirect them. So if there is something that's troubling them, you try to take it, you know, to another, uh, attention to another area. So something that's more pleasant and get them off that subject is a, is a way to kind of deal with some of that. Um, but to harp on it, it's just going to exacerbate the situation and make it worse. So our staff are trained. Um, we have a, a nurse on duty um, who could work with the family members to share what we learn at the center about positive things that they're experiencing. We share that with the caregivers so at home they learn the tips and be able to manage. At what point does it become evident in, in your knowledge of this? At what point does it become evident that it is now time for this person to be put into some sort of a care facility. Uh-huh. Where do you draw that line? Well, many times we're working closely with the family. Um, sometimes it's more how much can the family manage and handle. Um, and so talking, we always get the families talking with the social workers to find out where they are in terms of are they getting um, the sleep they need, are they getting... Um, are they staying well and that kind of thing? Um, and um, are they are they needing some assistance themselves? Because very very often what we find is the caregiver is getting ill as a result of the care because it's twenty four seven. It's you know so so it we is, do that. Yeah, good, good. It it is that, and I know that from the from the point of being a caregiver. I mean when when. We moved back. I mean, I, I've been in Arizona for forty-eight, uh, thirty-eight years, off and on, more, more on than off. But I mean, I was here for a while when I moved here. My then wife and I moved to Southern California, and now 
we split, and I met Deborah, as you know, Deborah, and, we, and Deborah and I moved back to Arizona. One of the primary reasons we moved back to Arizona, if not the primary reason, is to help my mother with my father and his Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, it was very, very traumatic to see almost overnight how she had gone downhill. I mean, literally, it's a matter of uh, we were there for a holiday or birthday or something, I don't remember. And six months later when we came back, it was like, my dad, somebody has flipped the time switch and she has just, yeah. just flown through years. And it was all over her body and her face. So we decided at that point that she decided also that she'd like to have some help and we decided that we were going to move her. So we did. Um, my father went through his progression. He passed. Ninety days later, 120 days later, my mother had a stroke because it had taken its toll on her. I, I believe that it had taken its toll. So now we have a situation where she's had a stroke. She's okay. I mean, if she can drive, she's lost the field of vision, and she's fine, and she gets along very well until now when she is developed dementia. And um, and we are at a at a bit of a crossroads as to what do we do as all of us are that are in this, all of us boomers that have the situation, what do we do with mother? Mm-hmm. And it's not looking at it in a cold-hearted way. It's just what do we do with mother? How can we best serve her needs? Right. And then you start talking about issues with regard to uh, private pay, which is outrageous. Uh, can't she get assistance? Right. How do we have to sell down or uh, eliminate uh, uh, assets that's done legally and correctly so that she can qualify? Right. Um, and all of this takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. So in the meantime, we're still saying, what do we do with mother? Well, and that's, a, you know, it's a good point. Um, first of all, at Benavia, we have three social services, basically anyone can call our number, that, that's the 623-584-4999 number, speak to a social worker to get some information, resources to help them. And if the case is waiting for eligibility, um, our gals actually help people through that process. Um, but in the meantime, if, if mom is needing continuation in terms of something other than just staying at home and not having anything to do, because sometimes that can even... Uh, make the the situation worse. So getting involved in a day program where they, they're around here, yes. they're doing exercises, they're doing both cognitive and physical exercises, they're socializing. Socialization is so key to one's health. As human beings, we need that connection. And so the day centers really offer that. You know that they're going to get a hot meal, uh, you know, and, and nursing over supervision during the day. So that that is a real good answer in the interim until it's figured out what it's going to be sure. best. So how, how, how is that paid for uh, for Benavia? I mean, these are professional people. Right. And they... And they're making a, they need to make a living too. Sure. How how is that paid for? What what kind of range? What yeah. kind of range right. of payment? Well, and actually, um, because Benavia does contract with the area agency on aging, we also have a contract with the Veterans Administration, um, the Division of Development of Disabilities. 
many times people are eligible to be paid for their care under those contracts. So our staff are aware of who's available, who's, who's eligible for that. So we encourage you to, to talk with the staff member about what options might be available. In the case that none of those would be available, it is a privately paid service. Sometimes long-term care insurance uh, pays for it as well if someone has long-term right. care insurance. Right. Um, right now, Medicare does not pay for adult daycare, although I think in the near future we're going to see some changes happen that way. But in the meantime, so paying privately out of pocket, it can cost about $12 an hour, and we can ask for a minimum of five hours a day, um, mainly because we feel that that person's going to get the true therapeutic benefit of being with others and being part of the programming and all this. So that's basically. In dealing with the area uh, on aging, uh-huh. uh, I've had a phone conversation, very brief, nothing in depth yet. Uh, and they seem to be pretty, uh, pretty adept at being able to find the right mix. Um, so if if there is a pay down of assets that has to take place, does uh, Benavia qualify for that being part of that pay down? Oh yes, okay. our services, the adult aid does. You can you basically you're paying for her care to be in in uh, getting health care services for intended as long as she can until she's ready for uh, until she's right. until she she's can qualify for mm-hmm. yeah I mean yeah and and you know it, it actually the caregivers can get tax write off to using adult daycare as well so now do one um, uh, one or just one or two more questions I'll let you get about to your thank thank you to people yes. <laughs> uh, the uh, when, when you're when you're in this pay down process. Uh, and that you you're looking for a place to have your loved one. Uh, what then is that process? Does Benavia help yeah. in in procuring that location based on the fact that it's probably going to be Altec or uh, one of the other Arizona? One of the things that's really wonderful about Benavia is we're sort of that um, community-based organization that's aware of all the local resources and. You know, again, Area Agency on Aging covers the whole Maricopa County region. Where Benavia, we're we're focused on the Northwest Valley, so our gals, the social workers, really know what the resources are, down to the finite detail. Like, if you want a certain amenity, um, you you can only afford a certain amount. We can give you specifics to the facilities, the um, the organization that meets those criteria for you. So it's very, very detail-oriented, um, whereas some of the larger organizations that are covering the whole county may not have that that scope. Or, and when I say scope, I mean the depth of information. So I always encourage families in the area to come and speak to one of the social workers at Benavia because we're going to be able to give you more detail for the specific region um, that you would need to make good decisions. Sure. Um, the other thing, too, is when you're thinking about uh, a nursing facility, licensed care facilities, uh, the state uh, department of licensure does maintain a database and lets you be able to go in there and actually see what they've been rated as 
Because that's important, too, as a consumer, to be able to know, okay, is this going to be a place that I am going to be comfortable having my mom be cared for in if they've had violations in whatever area? Um, so, you know, those kinds of things are important that you want to be sure. And our, our social workers know the sources to go to to get that information and help you with that. Well, I was, uh, it was very interesting when we were looking for a place possibly to have my father. Um, as it turns out, I never needed him because he took ill and, and, and he passed. But uh, when we were looking at various facilities, uh, nothing like your nose to tell you whether or not mm-hmm. it's worth mm-hmm. looking any further. Exactly. When you when you walk in the door and it just isn't right. Right. You know. Excuse yourself and right. walk out. That's right. You know. That's right. That's that disqualified instantaneously. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So I mean, there in this process, uh, there certainly is a, a good old-fashioned common sense sometimes, isn't there? There is. There and is. That, that just that sixth sense of picking yeah. up on yeah. things. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Why are why are those clothes piled in the uh-huh. hallway? Are those those sheets over there and pillowcases stuck in the corner in the hallway not to be picked up yet? Right. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a good point. And I think, um, you know, the first impression you get when you walk in that door, I mean, if, if, whether it's you're smelling something or things just look disarray, maybe there's not, you know, the other part of this is that human connection piece. If no one's coming to you or really responding to you, what does that tell you, too? I mean, you know, if you want a place where your loved one's going to go and you know that they're going to get the attention and they're going to have... They're going to feel like they're being treated like a human being. <laughs> right. It's really right. That's important. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, Michelle, I really appreciate you taking all your all this time with me today. Uh, congratulations on a great event. Yes, thank you. And uh, next year, the yes. fifth annual will make it bigger and better yet. Yes, and I want to really do a special shout out to all of those Wells Fargo staff, uh, Christy Joseph and Kelly Johnson, who were so instrumental and are, as chairs of this event, really made it very special. Um, we, can't, we can't do this without the community, and right. we are so grateful. Right. And also, to the city of Peoria, the mayor and the council members have been phenomenal in helping us. Arrowhead Lexus, who is our title sponsor, has been a tremendous support for now it's six years that they've been supporting us as a title sponsor, and it really makes a difference in our ability sure. to do things like this. So. Now, uh, one last question. Is this, is this the is, is this the only? This is fourth, but is is this the first time at this this location, no. or have they all been here? They've all been at all this right. location, and it's with the, really um, the city has worked with us and is working on is giving us the space to use, and staff here are phenomenal. So very um, good. Anyway, I think uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, thanks again, Michelle. Pete. You all take right. care. Have a wonderful holiday. Thanks. You do okay. the same. Take Bye-bye. care.
out of here by 1 o'clock. Driving out of here by 1 o'clock. What time is it now? It's That was quite a conversation with Michelle D'Amicio, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer, CEO, Director, Head Honcho of Benavia, a facility that all of this is uh, benefiting today. And uh, we're very glad she could take some time to stop by with us, visit with us today, and tell us about all the things that Benavia does. And right now, we've got one of the entertainers uh, that has sat down down with me. Her name is Mahini. She is a belly dancer, and I saw some of her performance. Very nice. Oh, thank you. Very nice. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, how long have you been dancing with your belly? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really kind of a misnomer because almost everything happens with your hips. It's not about your belly at all. Yeah. But people insist on calling it belly dance, but so we can play along. <laughs> but I've been dancing professionally for uh, almost 13 years now, plus a good deal of student years before that. Oh, I'm sorry, how? Plus a good deal of student years before that, before you can dance professionally. Okay. Uh, here's here's what I, what little I know about belly dancing. Okay. It's, it's very attractive, number one. And number two, my only acquaintance with a belly dancer was at the, at the stadium in San Diego when the football games were going on around the plaza level there were two people that hung out together. I don't know if they were husband and wife. I have no idea. She was a belly dancer. And she would dance her way all the way, all for the entire game, <laughs> dance her way around the stadium. And I'm sure that was her method of advertising. They probably bought seats, but then they just... And he was dressed as a blind referee with a white cane and dark glasses. Wow. And the, the two of but she was a very good belly dancer. And, of course, the guys were very impressed with her. <laughs> well, I've, I've never heard of that at, at a, a sports game before. That's interesting marketing. <laughs> well, well, that's not kind of what I thought. It was very interesting marketing. And I was thinking as we've, we've got uh, we've got the Arizona Scorpions basketball team here, and uh, it may be worth your price of admission. <laughs> Well, generally, I don't target the male audience. I target the female audience. Okay. Um, I, I teach in Phoenix, and so I, I teach classes for all levels in sure. the Central Phoenix area, and I do a lot of parties for women only. Really? And, yeah, and that's actually oh, one of the most fun things I think I ever do is, is um, I love performing for parties, but I especially love the women's parties because they're without any men around. They get up, and they're so free to have fun and to try something different and to not be afraid of, of, of like, maybe if it feels a little cool at first, they're having fun with their girlfriends, and it's always wonderful because it's fantastic to see the way women 
open up when they when they try something like this. And enough creates kind of a safe space. And class is the same thing. It's a safe space where you're not you know you're not worried about who's watching. So you. they're very uninhibited though. Exactly, they are, and there's so much fun. There's so much joy that happens at those. Now, on, on the serious side, I know I have to make a little bit of fun of it, but on on the serious side, uh, the act of belly dancing is also a very good exercise. Oh yes, it is. It is. Um, I actually have a, my bachelor science in exercise science, and so that's something that I decided to pursue after I had already been belly dancing professionally because I realized that there was a lot of there there was a lot more biomechanics and things like that that could be explained better in class and could be done better, and uh, and so. I took things I was interested in already separately, exercise and dance, and just combined them in my own studies. And uh, and yes, definitely, it's, it's an excellent core workout. Um, I think one of the best things to be said about it is for people who really hate going to the gym or are bored to tears on a treadmill or an elliptical machine, you might be at your your patient's limit at 10 minutes on an elliptical. You can throw your iPod on, but if you just are involved in dance on it, on a social and recreational level, not even on a professional level, when you go to what we call hops, which are basically gatherings where everybody gets up and dances to open the floor, you'll dance for hours. And just because you're smiling doesn't mean it's not exercise. <laughs> and they do, and they'll dance for hours, and you'll have a wonderful time. And and it's it's the best exercise ever because it's the one you keep wanting to come back to over and over again. Also, it offers a, a means of expression too, doesn't it? Oh yeah, and it's and there's a lot of community within the women who dance together. You know, that you make new friends, you get to hang out, you have fun, you go places together, you go to shows together, you go to class together. And so there's there's a lot of social aspects to it. There's a lot of wonderful health aspects to it. It's a great low-impact exercise because we're not jumping and leaping, but it's the same level of cardiovascular effort, so it was great for lowering blood sugar and, you know, lowering cholesterol and all kinds of things like that. And the best thing is it's enjoyable, which means you want to do it. And if you have to drag yourself to the gym, it's really likely you're going to stop dragging yourself to the gym at some point. At some point. <laughs> enough is enough, and I've had enough. That's right. Uh, now, the music that you dance to, mm-hmm. uh, is, is that considered traditional music for belly dance? Uh, what I chose today was kind of a mix of things. Uh, I actually did some modern pieces today, and I did a, actually a remix piece near the end when I was dancing with the crowd, and I used the more traditional pieces in the middle of the show. There's quite a route wide variety of styles that we dance to. Some are classic golden age Egyptian style music or Lebanese style music and these are very classic pieces and uh, then there's other pieces that are more modern and then there's things that have been very pop influenced or actual old pieces remixed with you know, electronic technology and beats and things like that. And you dance differently to all of them and that's not even touching the regional folkloric styles that we do in much different costuming that really still plays into the whole you know, genre of belly dance for all the regional dances. So is is this part of your culture then, I mean, with the name Mahin, is that a stage name, or is is that actually your your name? That's actually part of my name. That's not my whole name, but uh, it's, but no, I'm actually Sicilian, 
Um, my family is, is Sicilian. I was born in the States, though. And but I grew up watching an awful lot of belly dance. My mom had all those great PCLPs from Eddie the Sheik and all that stuff. But I, I've been dancing since I was three. Other kinds of dance. I did ballet, I did jazz, I did all kinds of things. And so my sisters and I would, you know, put on little shows for our family at home and things like that. And, and yeah, we, you know, my mom had all those great albums. And I just loved the music. I thought that the women on the planet of albums were the most beautiful ever. More beautiful than anything I ever saw in a fashion magazine. And I guess I always loved that. When I got to be an adult and had the opportunity to do that, I jumped. Sure. Yeah. And I got, you know, and just like everyone else, I just took a class because I thought it would be fun. Then I took two classes. Then I got involved in the student group. Then I started, you know, years went on, and then I finally got a professional gig. And then I started to teach. And then they all, you know, have troops that I run and travel and teach and such. And I think it's one of those things you just get brought in and in and in and in to the degree that it's satisfying. And for me, living it is satisfying. <laughs> so you say that uh, you, you travel. Uh, where where do you travel to perform? Do you travel to perform? Uh, actually, I travel to perform and teach both. Um, I, I started out that I would be traveling to teach because I started publishing a Facebook daily online, I did daily, not online, the daily email uh, publication for dance students, and I opened it up to anyone who wanted it. I called the daily belly dance book, and it goes to people, and it has instructional shorts and things about music and stuff that dancers need to know. And because this is getting distributed so widely, literally worldwide, um, it goes everywhere. I can't believe some of the places I get email questions from, like Croatia and Moldova, and <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, it's, it's really going everywhere. The internet's amazing. Um, but then I started to get asked to come and teach, and so I have been this year to Seattle and uh, Virginia Beach and Philadelphia, and I know I'm getting a few places. <laughs> and there's more coming up in L.A. in March, and I'm teaching in Tucson in January, and in northern Arizona in February, and we've got some other things going up for the end of the year. But yeah, I, I travel to teach workshops for other dancers and to perform. So, and that's just wonderful. I think it's a fantastic way to see the country and see other dancers. That's fantastic. So, uh, so when, when you're doing, do you do corporate events for performance? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, it's fun to, I, I do anything from a small party in a house for someone's birthdays, anniversaries and things, anything up to, you know, cultural festivals like this, which sometimes are, you know, voluntary work for the community, and um, in corporate events at, you know, big hotels and things like that. Sometimes I'll have, it depends on what they need, you know, if they need a big stage show, fine, I've got live musicians, I've got multiple dancers, a big ensemble show, you name it. We did the Arab American Festival for several years in a row with large ensembles. Fantastic. Who ever thought it? <laughs> you know, it's really the truth, because if you asked me, what, 20 years ago, who'd ever thought it, you know, I'd be doing this? No, I probably would have told you I'm not, but I couldn't be happier than I am. That's it's, great. Life is good. That's good. <laughs> very, very good. And you're off to some place tonight, right? Today? Uh, this afternoon yet? Well, actually, I am leaving to go and teach my classes down in, in Central Phoenix. That are started in a little while, and then tonight there's lots of parties going on that I need to perform for, so yeah, it'll be a busy day. Well, this is just a warm-up for you. Yeah, this is. This is a warm-up. This is the beginning of my day. I'm going to be until about 11 or 12 tonight, and then I get to kick off my shoes and sit down and have a glass of wine. There you go. <laughs> Very good. Well, enjoy your, rain, your wine later tonight, and enjoy your festivities and, and your teaching and your parties this afternoon. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for coming out and visiting
Thank you so much. It was great talking to Thanks. you. Take care now. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Uh, Now, if all of this whole system has gone on, because it went on here at 10 o'clock, and there's been a lot of things there may not have been anybody here. So, yeah, right up that on my card there. Just go ahead and you what you can do with it. I'm just trying to figure, I've got a back-to-back show coming up. I want to make sure that I don't lose this. Come sit down. I met you before. Are you sure? No, <laughs> uh, no, I'm first time here being first time here at this. Uh, 
boy, for some reason you seem you seem awfully familiar to me. I don't I don't know why. Oh well, you would know. <laughs> There we go. Pardon me? Yeah, right. Let me go ahead. No, just clean the air to this so I can get that. Where there you go. And we're back with another guest. This is Arizona Boomer Radio, and we are at Benavia's Festival of Cheer here at the Arizona Phoenix, I'm sorry, Phoenix Peoria Sports Complex. And uh, I have another guest here that just came to join me, Maria Soto. Better de Soto, is that right? Better de Soto. Maria Better Soto. She's a business developer with... Party light gifts. Here's what I know about party lights. They do candles. Yes. That's what I know. What else? What else am I missing? Oh, much, much more. Uh, we not only do candles, warmers, uh, infusers, car fresheners. Uh, we have two sisters for main, so we do uh, seasoning boxes. Uh, lots of different things. Also, good for home decor, so uh, candle holder. Nice of them on candles. And candles. Yeah. Oh, by the way, candles. <laughs> uh, candles is where it started, though, isn't it? With party light, didn't it start? Uh, Forty years ago. Uh, it was, and it it started as a uh, home party. Right. Uh, is it still primarily a home party? No, actually, we've expanded to website as well. So um, now, not only can someone have a party, but now they can reorder online. Um, you know, they can they can take a look at our catalog online, become a preferred customer, and earn rewards twenty percent of what they purchase. So go back to them for additional family. So now, if I were to go to Partylight.biz slash the Veritasoto. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, then, and I were to order something online. Right. Without ever having a home party. Right. You get credit for that. Right. That's correct. And you make your standard commission on that, whether it's a home party or a web web order? That's correct. Wonderful. We're always looking for new consultants, uh, bilingual in, in Arizona, because we don't have enough. And we can have our business built it by having parties or just inside of home. So, are you, you said you're new to Arizona? Are you new to Party Life? New to Party Life as a consultant. I've been a customer of Party Life for 20 years. Uh oh, okay. And love Party Life, only like Party Life uh, candles. And I did. I'm gonna sell this because I believe in it too much. So where did you move to Arizona from? From California. My goodness. Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach from Huntington Beach, right by the ocean. Right. <laughs> to the desert. Right. When all you have is a lot of beach and no ocean. 
Wow. What brought you to Arizona? Family. My family came out here uh, 10 years ago, and I was the last one to come out. So. You were the last one to finally succumb, huh? Right. Well, after being here for, what, a year now? Yeah. Is that right? Is that what you told me? Uh, how do you like Great. My first summer out here was a little crying, but <laughs> I got you fit. A little touchy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we moved out here many, many years ago. Um, we moved out here in 100, they were having a heat wave, 115 degrees. I don't know how many consecutive days of 115, 18, 17 uh, without any relief whatsoever, and we're driving around in a little hopeful cadet without air conditioning. Oh. And I'm going, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, but you know, like you say, you get used to it, you adapt, right. and uh, uh, you get yourself, uh, you get yourself put together. And right. You learn that um, if you go real fast with the windows down, it's almost like air conditioning. <laughs> Well, what was great with party night, I didn't have to go outside of the house. There you well, go. So I'm inside the house. Very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah, but I did go get surf crazy a little bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many parties do you have? Do you, do you host this in the course of, say, a month? A month? You can have anywhere from uh, one uh, to a maximum of as many parties as you can. As many as, as, many as, as you many can cram in there. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. And you can work it in the morning, um, in the evening, during the week, weekend, whatever you want to put into your business, you put into it. Now, are you, is, is there a downline, upline type situation? Uh, is there somebody that you work in there as part of the team or part of their team, or is it just you and you alone and, and no. you, you don't get any overrides or nobody gets overrides on you? How does that work? We all work as a team. So I'm here with another team member. You know, we're here meeting people, and we always help each other out to make sure that we're all always boosting our 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 business. So she's helping me. She's been in the business for ten years. And, you know, has more experience. I'll share how she built my business. More of what I was getting to, Maria, was uh, whether or not uh, there's so many of these multi-level marketing things, you know, where you, you more than sales of the product, you're expected to build a downline. Is this, does Party Life have a downline, per se? Do you bring people into the business and then they work under you? Well, yes. Yes, I do. Um, but that's moving up in any company. If I bring sure. in a certain amount of people, then I become a mission within my group. Gotcha. And, but that exists. Well, the point is, that opportunity exists. Right. Exactly. I mean, so... Okay, very good. Well, what are you planning for the holidays? you got a lot of things going on between now and then. Is it too late to order for Party Light and get it for the holidays? No. After this order, I'll be up to the 17th, and we guarantee that you'll get it Wonderful. Wonderful. And that goes for any of the products that are online or that you order for the first one. Right, right. And, so make, about, sure, and make sure that you become a support customer and you'll get a report on the order and you'll see all the reports for the next following months. And what is the best way for people to get hold of you? Uh, my phone number is uh, 323 